Welcome to the Health Leader Forge, a joint production between the University of New Hampshire and the Northern New England Association of Healthcare Executives. My name is Mark Bonica, and I am an assistant professor in the University of New Hampshire's Department of Health Management and Policy. Today's guest is Art Matheson, the president of Memorial Hospital in North Conway, New Hampshire. Memorial Hospital is part of the Maine Health System, the largest integrated healthcare system in Maine. Memorial Hospital is the only member hospital not located in Maine. Art had a first career in the U.S. Army as a Medical Service Corps officer and retired after 20 years as a lieutenant colonel. In this podcast, we talk about his military career, his transition to civilian leadership, and his experiences with the Bon Secours Health System in Virginia, his time as CEO of Copley Hospital in Vermont, and his leadership at Memorial Hospital, and what it's like leading a critical access hospital that is part of a larger healthcare system. I hope you enjoy listening to Art's story, and if you find it valuable, won't you leave us feedback on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you may be accessing this recording. It helps other people discover us. Thanks for listening, and here is Art Matheson. Welcome to the podcast, Art. Thanks, Mark. Good to be here. Um, so this is going to be fun because you and I are both retired Army Medical Service Corps officers. So I'm interested in kind of maybe the first part of this podcast, talk a little bit about your experience in the military and then where you are today. So what drew you to the military? Well, you know, it's a, it's a great question. And a lot of times people join the military because of some type of family connection, whether it's a father or grandfather. Uh, or other family member, and that that wasn't me. I was looking at something other than college. I, w- I had been in college for a couple of years, was a bit burnt out. I was a resident assistant. I, I played basketball at University of Southern Maine, and I just wanted something out, uh, something else. I was in love with the person who I've now been married to, Jen, for 28 years. And I wanted to be able to break away and get married and be able to support my family. So I I entered the Army uh, as an infantryman. I was enlisted and uh, only did a two-year enlistment, liked it, uh, but wanted to go back to school. So we got out of the Army, went back to University of Maine. I did ROTC, got commissioned um, as a Medical Service Corps officer, and went back in active duty. But as far as mentorship is concerned, it was my first experience as a young soldier. Uh, I was down at Fort Polk, Louisiana. Lucky nice. me, right? Yeah, uh, I've been there. Polk, um, <laughs> for one year until I got out of the Army. And I used to run. I, I got to do physical training PT on my own because I had a 300 uh, APFT. And so my company commander let anybody that got a 300 max PT test uh, go out and do PT on their own. So I ran with a couple of the lieutenants that were part of a headquarters company. And one of them uh, was the Medical Service Corps officer. And so he told me about the Medical Service Corps and all the opportunities. And actually at that time, believe it or not, this was 1993, he talked about the Baylor program and how that would be something if I was interested in working in hospitals, I could get my master's degree on active duty, a great program, and then work in hospitals for the rest of my career. And so, you know, fast forward, 
I got commissioned at, from the University of Maine and went uh, into the Army um, and, and served a bunch of lieutenant uh, jobs and uh, then uh, went from there to Baylor and did a bunch of hospital jobs that led me uh, to have the experience to get out into the civilian world and to be, uh, to be marketable and be able to get uh, the, the right jobs at the right time uh, to move myself up to where I am today. So you landed in, um, you landed in Virginia initially with uh, Bon Secours uh, Health yep. System. Yep. So how did that come about? How did you decide Virginia? Because I know, uh, I was looking at your background, you're from, you're originally from, what, born in Portland, Maine, yep. and uh, not, not uh, Oregon, Portland, Maine, and, and, and kind of grew up in Bangor, Banga. Yep. Um, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. So how did you, how did you uh, decide to settle at least initially in, um, in Virginia? Well, to be completely honest, it was the one job offer that I got. Oh, okay. It was, it was what the, I would say the one that was a, a meaningful job offer off, offer that I received And in bon is, is a reputable, really solid, uh, health system, and and it, it just felt like it was it was meant to be, and so yeah. yeah, I mean, I applied so many different places, and you know, maybe I wasn't the best interviewer. Maybe I was. I struggled a bit with the, the transition, the the language, the vernacular, all of those things. Certainly, yeah. um, it's it was not the easiest transition. Uh, for me, even when I got there and started, I'd go to Starbucks on my way to work and there would be, you know, army guys or air force people. And I was, I just wanted to stop and hang out with them because <laughs> I, I, I missed them. Right, I, right. I, I missed that culture that I was a part of. And, and so I, I would say there was a, definitely a several months of, of me struggling a bit, um, in a, in a very different culture than what I was used to. Yeah. So, I mean, we were joking a minute ago that the assumption a lot of civilians have is that everybody in the military acts like a, like a extra out of full metal jacket, but, but in fact, yeah. it's really not like that. I mean, sometimes it is, but sure. 90% of the time it's not. Right. Um, and so what was the, so what was the big culture change given that, you know, you did have to learn, like we talked about learning a lot of emotional intelligence and all that kind of, what was the big uh, shift for you getting going from the military culture to the civilian culture? Well, one thing that I realized that was, I, I'll go to the, the positive side of this, that I realized was a good thing going to Bon Secours is it was a relatively structured organization and pretty regimented uh, as, a, as a Catholic organization. And, and that, that played well for me. Uh, because there were some similarities just a, a, as the to the military as far as structure values were not unlike our values uh, in the army and so that was a that was a good thing i think one of the things that was tough for me and i know you you've you've uh i'm sure you've read about it or heard about it is a lot of times getting out of the military you've got to be ready to to take a step lower than what you were when you were in. Sure. And so I, that's what I had to do is I had to, I took, 
basically one step. I, I reported directly to the chief operating officer of the medical group in southeastern uh, Virginia, Suffolk, Norfolk area. And so that was a little, that was humbling for me. Like I had just really, as you had talked about, I was, I was on a great trajectory, two board selected positions in a row, you know, it's, but sometimes it's good to be humbled, my mother would say. Yeah. And, uh, and it, it teaches you things probably more, you know, you always hear you, you learn more from a loss than you do from a win as a sports analogy. Mm-hmm. And I think this was definitely an opportunity where I self-reflected and said, okay, I get this, but am I, what am I doing right? What am I doing not so right? And what do I, what do I have to do to change to, to take to when my boss gets promoted or goes somewhere else, how do I take his position? How am I prepared to, to be the next COO? And that's how I went about it. And after about nine months, there was, I think at the medical group, we had five or five or six directors of operation and we each ran a portion of the medical group. And I was selected after eight, nine months by my chief operating officer to basically become the executive director, still reporting to him and then the CEO of the medical group. But all the directors were going to report to me because he was covering the entire, the entire state. Okay. Uh, and so it was just too much. Um, like, any, like a lot of systems, a lot of times you're not going to make the jump right from, especially after nine, nine months, eight, nine months, right to a COO position but basically that was kind of the middle spot for my next promotion to become the southern chief operating officer of the medical group um so i felt pretty good about that but then came an opportunity in vermont which i yeah. took advantage yeah so you uh, uh you your next step was to actually head up to morrisville vermont yeah where you were the chief operating officer initially of copley hospital and then not not for very long, and or not very long after you became the the CEO. So what yep. drew you up to Ver, uh, from Virginia to Vermont? You were doing well, yeah. Promoted again, and and uh, but a big change, right? From from Virginia to Vermont. Yeah. So uh, absolutely, and and I wasn't I wasn't happy for some reason, and and I'm pretty happy now. I have to say. And I was happy once I got up up to Vermont uh, in in my my positions there. I wanted to be, I wanted to get back to chief operating officer position, and I, I wanted to get back to a hospital. I was at a medical group, which for Bon Secours and for those listening, you know, a medical group typically is a a group of physicians, uh, nurse practitioners, and PAs and other healthcare professionals. That, that see outpatient clinic and then also often work at one of the, the hospitals in the system. So we had 50 practice locations and three hospitals that we supported as a medical group. So I, I, I didn't work at a hospital. I worked at an office away from everything clinical and everything hospital related. So I was a total admin person 100% and didn't get to interact with the the clinical staff and the people that working w- where the rubber meets the road taking care of patients 
and that's what I enjoyed. I mean, I'm not a clinical person, but where I'm at now, when I was in Vermont at my army organizations, I got a chance to interact and be part of that really special uh, process of providing care to people and helping them live healthier lives. And it's really a calling, and I, I get a lot uh, from doing that. A lot of pleasure, uh, a lot of gratification, because if you've ever been sick, which I have, most have, you, you know how good it is to be healthy. And when yeah. you help somebody get healthy and they say thank you, it means a lot. And so I miss that. And I wanted to be a COO and I wanted to be a CEO. My goal getting out of the Army was five years I wanted to be a CEO. I, okay. I felt like it was a, a stretch goal. It was lofty at the time. I didn't even have a job yet out of the army. Right, right. But that was my goal. We're taught to set goals. I set a goal. I have to tell you, you know, I'm a, I think you are too. I'm a fellow of American College of Healthcare Executives. All three of my jobs I got from ACHE's job site. Nice. All three. All right. So I just was looking, saw the job at Bon Secours, applied. And then I was, I, what I did is you set up your criteria on, on the job site for ACHE, and then it, it emails you the, the, the jobs that, that match your skill set, providing you, you set that up right within the job site. And so this job in Vermont was emailed to me by the job site. And I looked at it, and I had to go on to MapQuest to find out where, you know, Morrisville, Vermont was where Stowe was. And I said, all right, let's try it. And so I went and applied and got selected to be their next chief operating officer. And soon after I got there, the CEO announced that he was going to retire in like seven or eight months. Okay. So did you, um, uh, were you brought in as a part of a deliberate succession plan or was it you had to show your, your abilities and compete for it? Yeah, so I was not brought in as the successor for the, the outgoing uh, CEO. I think that board members and others were thinking about that as I was, as I was coming in. Would I have that potential? Uh, but I, it was not part of the plan. So they uh, did a national recruit, recruitment effort through one of the firms, and I competed against several other candidates uh, for the position you, you know they got it down to six then they got it down to three and then I was I was finally selected after several month process as you know it it, it takes several months when you do a national search for a new yeah. hospital CEO so it yeah. was a bit painful they're never easy but you know it, it, it's worth it in the end and it was worth it and uh, I was glad I got that opportunity. So what was it like coming back to northern New England after all that time away? I mean, it was about 20 years you were gone. Yeah, I never thought I'd come back to, to the Northeast because I, um, I didn't like winters uh, before. <laughs> I, I, I'm a basketball player. Early in my years, I was a basketball player and uh, was not an outdoor guy. And it was about an opportunity and it was also about getting my family back. My, you know, my wife really wanted to come back to New England. She loved the four seasons. She appreciated it. I did not have that appreciation. 
until I got to Vermont. My kids picked up uh, Nordic skiing. Yeah. Every high school in Vermont has Nordic ski teams. Okay. And I met an army guy that worked at one of the ski shops. We became friends. He got me into Nordic skiing. I took lessons and I never want to leave the Northeast yeah. now. Yeah. I love it. I love snow. <laughs> yeah. and, and so that's what you, people ask me, what do you do, what do, you do to deal with winners? See, so you get a winter hobby right. and then you mind it right. uh, at all. You, you right. do snow. You look forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. You're yeah. happy when it's going outside right yeah yeah, yeah, you gotta, so yeah yeah you gotta find a way to get outside or it's a long couple of months if you <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, long several months depending right. on the way yeah 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 um well tell me a little bit about tell us a little bit about copley hospital you know how big yeah. was it what you know what kind of services did it offer what role does it play in in the community and kind of how does it fit in the overall medical system there yeah, so it, it was rather unique and something that didn't really register with me. Not that I wouldn't have taken the position because I know I would have regardless, uh, but it didn't register me with me in my mind that the setup as far as the specialties at Copley and what it didn't have. And, and what it didn't have, which I have here at Memorial, is it didn't have primary care as part of the hospital. So primary care was part of a FQHC, a federally qualified health center. And 10 years prior or more, 10 to 12 years prior to my arrival, the primary care broke away from the hospital and became an FQHC because of reimbursement. Uh, rural health centers, FQHCs are reimbursed at a higher rate than if you are not an FQHC. That's basically you know, the most, you know, the basic I can, I can say. It. And you, you get more reimbursement for each patient you're seeing. And the reason why the federal government does that is most primary care probably wouldn't be able to make ends meet if they didn't because they're in a rural center. You need a doc. You might not have enough patients that would really justify that physician. But if you don't have that physician, people have to drive 50 miles to see somebody for primary care. Yeah. And that's not a good thing. And so there's good reason why you have these federally qualified health centers. But it was tough not having it as part of, of the hospital. So it was a separate organization, separate CEO. Um, we, we did our best to work together. We got a majority of their referrals. But, but over the years, at times, there were, there were some struggles between leadership, I think, uh, between the two organizations, which happens. and. So that was a challenge at, at times. And, uh, you know, one organization has a vision of the direction they're going and our organization had our vision and they don't necessarily always align, mm -hmm. um, in which but is natural. But you would be in that, given that situation, you're very interdependent. We are. At the same time, yeah. right? So trying to paddle in two different directions and you're in the same canoe, right? Absolutely. But we, <laughs> and so we had to, and for, to, to, you know, I'm using quotations to do the right thing, right. which we both wanted to do the right thing, which is provide great care for our community. Um, we had to align and we, we worked hard at doing that. I, I feel it, and it's nothing personal, right? Between two organizations, but that's not the easiest thing to always do because 
if you have it all part of your hospital, everybody's in that one canoe going in one direction. And so we're trying to keep our, both our canoes beside each other going in the same direction. And right. once in a while, my canoe might veer off and, and they'd say, Hey, bring it back. And so I'd say, ah, okay, bring it back. And then we'd be aligned again. And so, yeah, so that was a, a, a bit challenging, um, but that's the way it was. And, and we did uh, as well as we could. And I think we did a pretty good job at providing cares to organizations with the same patients. And that's what we always say. We have the same patients here. So how do we come together and work together? And we work together on many different things. We did a pretty good job. Uh, the, the other thing that we had, well, I, I wouldn't say the other thing because uh, that what Copley was essentially was a very strong surgical hospital and, and had a number of specialties, general surgery, uh, u- urology, orthopedics, and, and other specialties, OBGYN, but really where it was very strong was orthopedics. So critical access hospital, 25 beds. We had approximately 375 full-time equivalent uh, staff at the, at the organization, at the hospital, but we had six orthopedic surgeons um, we covered all the modalities except for spine at our hospital. And for a small hospital to, to have that kind of orthopedic program, uh, we also had seven orthopedic APPs, so nurse practitioners and PAs. That was kind of the heartbeat of our hospital. And we did a lot of total joints, total hip, total knee, total shoulder. And uh, we I felt like we were one of the best orthopedic organizations uh, in Northern New England. I mean, we could, we could compete with anybody. Our surgeons were and still are outstanding that, that are there at Copley Hospital, and, and they really helped the hospital be successful. So you transitioned from COO to CEO. Yep. Uh, what surprised you about that role? So that was your goal. I think you, yeah. did, you got there in maybe three years, maybe instead of five. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Okay. yeah. It was nice. Good army. Yeah. Good army. Try. Uh, good. Good. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, so what, what surprised you about, you know, you, you had your eyes on it, you were thinking about it, but what was surprising about the transition? Well, as an independent hospital CEO, literally everything falls on your shoulders. Right. And, and, and that was, it's not like I was, I was, surprised at that i guess i was surprised at the amount of what was put on my shoulders right so you know i hadn't been at a civilian hospital or hospitals or or healthcare organizations very long uh so i was still kind of green in that aspect and you know when when as an independent hospital ceo you're you're said, okay, well, what, when are we going to start our strategic planning for the next three years? Uh, when are we going to start our community health needs assessment that needs to be done because IRS says it needs to be done by this date, and then you need to present it to the board and get board approval, and on and on and on. And, oh, you have to go present your budget to the Green Mountain Care Board. What's the Green Mountain Care Board? Well, that's the five-person regulatory board assigned by the governor that basically approves 
your budget and what your rate increase will be, et cetera, et cetera. You mean we're, we're, we're going to be regulated like that from the state? Yes, you are. Okay. Well, geez, my learning curve has just increased dramatically. And so, yeah, I think uh, a lot, the, the magnitude of different things that I hadn't done before that first year was a huge learning curve in, in a number of those areas that I, I never dealt with. Uh, the one that was probably the toughest that I learned the most from is the regulatory state requirements were pretty immense in the state of Vermont. And I don't think anybody that knows about the state of Vermont well would argue with that. It's just uh, a fact. And I learned uh, fairly quickly. Um, I I felt like I was, you know, uh, drinking from a a fire hose at times. And it it was uh, a bit overwhelming and daunting and humbling. But I had good people around me. And I was taught well enough, if you got good people around, around you, use them, delegate. And I, I tried to keep that in mind. And so, and then thinking instead of a COO, I'm thinking about a quarter of the organization or a third of the organization, I'm now thinking about the whole organization and making sure my the CMO, Chief medical officer, chief nursing officer, and, and chief operating officer are essentially running the day-to-day of the hospital, right? And I'm, over, I'm providing oversight and guidance, but then I'm planning for the next year's budget, the strategic plan, and looking three to five years out, and then everything in between, and, and then trying to meet budget on a monthly basis, and on and on and on. And so it's just... The, the need to be down in the weeds, which is a small hospital CEO, you need to be, but then go to 30,000 foot level at times and then be able to go back and forth and then in the middle at times too, <laughs> right? And so yeah. that's what I learned to do very quickly to, to be successful and really survive uh, in, in a fast-paced healthcare environment that we're in. So you were, you were at Copley almost four years in total. And then you um, transitioned to be the president of Memorial Hospital in in North Conway, New Hampshire. And that's where you are today. So so tell me about the transition. What, how did that opportunity come about? and, And why did you choose to do that? My wife and I had spent winter vacation and also some summers here in North Conway uh, while we were living in Ver- Vermont. And I vaguely remembered North Conway as a young kid when we lived in Portland before we moved up to Bangor. We actually were driving home on the main drag going up through the pass. And we went past Memorial Hospital. And my wife, Jen, said, oh, that's the, the, the hospital here in North Conway. And I said, yeah, it looks like it. And she said, could, could you work there? And I said, well, they're probably critical access, so probably, yeah, I could. And then that was it. We didn't talk about it anymore. That was like three years ago. And uh, one morning, I got an email, kid you not, from ACHE that had the president of Memorial Hospital position posted. And I was drinking coffee, and Jen was in the other room, and I said, hey, hon, look at it. And she came and looked at the email. She said, eh, well why don't you take a look at it? Why don't you, you know, email the person? And that's how it started. 
so obviously, so this is about a you you started about a year ago. This you started this past summer. Uh, right, you've been there about a year. So, what was it like walking into your second um, CEO role? What was it like transitioning? So you transitioned from COO to CEO yeah. at Copley. This time you went straight into well, you're president, but but still you're the senior you're the yeah. senior executive. They, so they they uh, half you know half the people still still call me you know when they introduce me. This is my CEO or this is the CEO of the hospital. Maine Health has one one CEO, uh, Bill Karen, my big boss. But but essentially, it's very very similar to what I did at Copley. You almost can't tell the difference on day to day in working with the board. I think you know from a leadership perspective, it was more difficult to start as a COO and then go to CEO at Copley because you are known as the COO. And then now they know you. So some some people it didn't matter. They respected you. They gave you the, the due respect. They they worked with you. Others, you know, it, it mattered a little bit more or less. And that's just the way it goes. And so I think here people knew me as the CEO, as the president of the hospital. They were part of many were part of the interview process. Most of the leaders were part of the interview process. Most of the 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 managers the mid-level leaders and so that's what they knew me as and it and it feels like it was a little bit easier but one thing that i usually you know my my wife is kind of my barometer on things because she's seen me since i was 20 years old she knows me better and what she said she said a couple of times she says i see you being more confident uh when when issues come up and you have to make decisions not she said, not that you weren't doing a good job, being yeah. a good wife, building me up. Not that you didn't weren't doing a good job <laughs> at Copley, she'll yeah. say. But but she said, I just see more of a calmness with your decisions and and a confidence because of the experience that you're bringing to Memorial. And and I would say that I that that she's probably right because I have not seen. I don't know if I've seen anything here for the first time necessarily, mm. right? I've all, I've just about everything I have done at least one or more times, which is again, experience when you're 22, when I was 25, I was like experience that guy's just old. He doesn't know anything. You know, I was cocky. I, I knew everything. And then I, I, in my thirties, I started to realize I didn't know everything. And now I realize I don't know that much at all. And that's a good thing right. because always asking people what they think, you're looking for the best ideas. You usually don't have them. I'm usually not the smartest guy in the room. Almost, I'm almost never the smartest guy in the room, but I'm smart enough to, you, to, to ask questions to the people around me um, that I have as much of invested interest in the success of our hospital and are really smart and, yeah. and provide good input and guidance that I need to make the tough decisions. Yeah. So quick contrast the two organizations, size-wise, mission, pretty similar? How, how are they different? Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're pretty uh, similar in the sense of critical access hospital, uh, so your reimbursement is the same for Medicare uh, patients, for example. As far as the, 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 
facility size, relatively similar. As far as the specialties, however, Memorial has primary care and Memorial has more specialties. So Copley had a ton of depth surgically, um, but not as much in other areas. Memorial had, does not have the depth in maybe one particular key service, but has a lot more breadth as far as services. And the reason why, I think the number one reason is being part of Maine Health, mm-hmm. because we would not have you know, the specialties that we have at our organization if we weren't part of a larger healthcare team. So I wanted to ask you about that. So, so Copley was an independent facility, but now you're part of a larger system. Maine Health's a pretty good sized system. It's one of the, yep. what are there, there's three systems in Maine? Yeah. And that's, and Maine Health is the largest, I believe. Yep. Yep. It's oh. a little over 20, uh, 20,000 employees. Yeah. Yeah. So what is it like uh, uh, moving from an independent facility to a facility that's part of a larger organization? You, you already alluded to the fact that you have more access to specialty providers. What yeah. else, what else, how does that affect your day-to-day uh, work? You know, it's certainly something, Mark, that I thought about whenever you go to another job, you think, okay, what kind of autonomy am I going to have to do what I do uh, to run, run my organization the best that I think uh, I can in, in the right way, I think is is best for the organization. So I report to my board here, but I also report to the president of the health system. And he's great. He, he's been doing what I, I'm doing a lot longer than me. And, and he provides good guidance. The positives of that are, I have a mentor that I really can go to, an independent hospital, you don't have a, a boss like that, that you can, I can text them and say, Hey, can I, can I run this by you? And you say, call me in 15 minutes and boom, we'll get on. We'll discuss something. I'll get guidance. I'll move on. Very similar in, in that way to the military, very matrix organization um, as the military is. And so you, I knew that I was going to lose by virtue of being part of a larger team like the army. Uh, like Bon Secours, I was going to lose some autonomy. And I don't want to say that in a, in a negative way. I, it's just the way health systems work. And that's why health systems are successful is because they uh, synchronize effort, they standardize, they use economies of scale to save dollars. And, and that's how and why organizations are able to make it uh, in this environment these days is becoming part of a, a larger team. And so, you know, I, I don't make every single decision myself uh, like I made at Copley. And I knew that was coming in. But the great thing that is much that outweighs the, the, the few decisions that I I have to go in and get approval for is being part of a system and having that that support that top cover and that really showed more than ever through this pandemic. Oh yeah, I, I, it would have been much different being an independent hospital. Uh, you know, one thing we were wearing masks throughout our hospitals. I think before most 
hospitals in America were wearing masks. Um, I think we started wearing masks and people thought we were, we were off, our, off our rocker for wearing, you're wearing masks in the hospital. Everyone's wearing a mask? And we said, yeah. And one is we could get the mask to wear. That was, that was the number one. Yeah, that was a challenge, right? Yeah. We, we had the leverage in the, the great lo, uh, logistics folks that got after it 24-7. And so, yeah, th- that really showed. But overall, I think the economies of scale that you get in being part of a larger system is just you can't put a price tag to it. Well, you actually can. But, but uh, that, that price tag to be a part of a system is very helpful with us meeting our bottom line. Uh, on a yearly basis. So you mentioned you have a board. How does that all work? So you have, because I, I know different systems do it differently. Is there a local board that controls a memorial and then an, another board for a main health board? How does, how does, what's the interaction between, what is the governance structure? That's what I'm trying to say. What is the governance? Yeah, so, so the governance the, the, the one caveat for, for us right now, because we're the one New Hampshire hospital, is all the hospitals in Maine have unified. We are fully integrated, but we are still working through the final stages with the state on, on final unification. And, and so th- th- this is public knowledge. So we still manage, we still have our dollars. When you actually do a final unification, all the dollars go into one pot, right? Okay. We have not yet done that because state of New Hampshire is different than, than the state of Maine, is different than any other state in, in laws and how things like this occur. And, you know, you got to get the, the lawyers involved to help you through it and get us to that final stage. We were going to start working on this with, with uh, the state earlier this year, but then the pandemic hit. So everything got put on hold. And so, where, what will happen? Most likely, um, if we look in, in similar to the other hospitals, uh, which you don't completely know yet until we work with the state and figure this out, is we, the, the board essentially becomes, goes from what, what you and I know to be a, a typical hospital board that has full control o- over the, the, the governance of the hospital, for example, over the budget, uh, over the strategic plan. They become more of an advisory board and the those decisions like approving the next fiscal year budget uh, become the responsibility of the main health board now what i understand and what i've heard after the first year because main health's a relatively young system is that uh, people don't see things being a, a whole lot different from the optics of it at their hospitals. So Maine Health, one great thing about them is they're very inclusive with their hospitals. They want feedback. They're very transparent. And it's the, the way you and I would, would want an organization to be. And so it's not like, wow, we have the power at Portland Free Street now and we're taking over. No, they understand the value of their community hospitals and getting their input. And if things make sense, like, hey, this hospital recommended this, that makes sense. What do you guys think? All right, let's make that change, right? That's the right way, the way I would want to lead an organization. And that comes from the senior leaders of the system. And so that's, 
you know, we haven't done that final unification and look forward to, to moving forward with that in the future. But that's essentially how it's set up. Maine Health has has a board. I attend that board meeting. We have a local board member on the Maine Health board. So they have the right structure to be fair uh, across the system. And I think it works well. How do you manage strategically? How does, how does, how does, how does strategy get worked out now that you're kind of progressively becoming more part of the system? How do you, you know, how do you look at the future? What do you worry about? I guess, what do you worry about in the future for Memorial? Yeah, I think um, first, one of the great things about being integrated in a health system like we are with Maine Health is we have strategic planning experts, I'll call them, that this is what they do is they are help us put together our strategic plans for the next three years. So we just finished up our three-year strategic plan, but they facilitate the meetings. They set the slides up. We show up, try to give our good ideas and our brain power, but they really help us through it. And man, you really, you really can't put a price tag to that because it, it is truly priceless. I always thank them for their work. The, the big things that I worry about, first and foremost, is we're, we're a people organization. And if you don't have the right skill set, you're not going to be able to care for your community. And it's super competitive out there. For most specialties, I mean, a physician of almost any specialty can go just about anywhere he or she wants to go in the country. That's just the bottom line. And so how do you bring them to mm. your hospital? Right. And what we're asking, that's what we're, we're trying to figure out and doing our best to, to pull people in uh, to Memorial. Uh, another good thing uh, about being part of a system uh, a lot of the younger generations, they don't want to be one doc in a box all alone by themselves anymore. Um, that's kind of of the past. A lot of these physicians are saying, well, what's my call schedule going to be like? Am I one in three, one in four? And you're like, uh, one in two? Is that going to work? Like, like every other night. <laughs> right. Like every other night, uh, two weeks out of the month. It's not going to be bad. Um, you know, quality of life and, and can you blame them, right? right. Uh, you only live one life and, and you want to have balance as best as you can. And, and one and two call, yeah, that gets old after a while. I get it. I've seen, I've seen my friends uh, go through that and, and it gets to a point where it's not, it's not pretty. So um, that recruitment is, is a really tough thing for everybody. It's a combination of salary and benefits. But also, you know, a lot of these people coming in, they want to know what my vision is. You know, I have these young physicians coming in and surgeons and saying, what do you, what do you want to do with my practice? You know, how, how do you see us moving forward? And, and I think that's great. Um, and those are the questions they should be asking. And so right now, we're, we're really in a good place of re recruiting people of key, you know, key positions. We, we just uh, hired, for example, a upper extremity orthopedic surgeon that's really excited to join uh, our team and uh, a number of other specialties. And I, th I think it's the feeling that they get when they come into our community, but also when they come into our hospital and when they talk to people. Mm -hmm. People want to be going to a place where they're excited to work 
most days. We all have a bad day, but most days it's a good place for them to come to work, to be safe, to be respected, and to feel like they're doing something that matters. And that's what we're trying to do here at Memorial and throughout the system. Uh, and that's the way I think it, it should be if you can get there. I mean, it sounds like being part of Maine Health probably helps with that recruiting process as well, because you can provide some of that support yeah. coverage. That Yeah, as a yeah you can provide support. We've had providers that have said, you know, well, we've had, I think, one orthopod that we're also recruiting said, well, do you think I could go and work at MMC and pull call there so I could get some of the more complicated cases? And my chief medical officer and I were like, yeah, I think I think we can make that happen. I think they won't, won't mind you pulling some call for them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anybody that's going to mind. You want to take my call for Saturday night? Yeah. Yeah, you, yeah no problem. You, yeah. <laughs> right? You know, quality right. of life. But yeah, right. and, and so they like that because you know, there's, there's education, there's collegiality that's important to many of them. There's depth. There's somebody they can call that's like them that they can bounce things off of. They could go work part-time at another hospital in the system that's bigger, that might provide them uh, more professional development than they're going to get regularly at a small hospital. So, yeah, I think, I think what we have at Memorial is we're a great place, great mountains, great waters, uh, you know, places to swim. But we got great shopping, and then we've got the other side of the world, which is a great uh, health system with a tertiary care hospital that can take our higher level patients. Um, and we, we get the best of both worlds here. And, and that's what I saw when I came and interviewed and just, I couldn't pass it up. It was just a great opportunity professionally and, and personally. What does it take to be a successful critical access CEO president? What are the, what are the skills? Somebody's thinking, that's what I, I want to be. I want to be art someday. What is it that, you know, makes a person in your role successful? Wow. Um, don't like to drink beer because you okay. like to drink beer. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> like to drink beer. Um, no, in, in all seriousness, I think, you know, I think that the couple of things, I know one thing that they were looking at here is, uh, leadership. And I, I think everybody has a different leadership style uh, or slightly different, uh, some more different than others. But I, I think an organization goes as their top leader goes, right? And so you, you as the, the leader of the, the hospital, it be, you, you can't be timid. Uh, you have to be strong and confident, but not cocky and thinking that you're better than sliced bread. So it's, it's that quiet confidence that we often see in the Army and in certain specialties like our, our special forces uh, folks uh, that are confident but down-to-earth, relatable, you know, put your, your pants on just like everybody else, one leg at a time type leader that leads from the front and sets the example, but also holds people accountable on a daily basis. And, 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 and that's what I, I'm, I'm trying to do on a daily basis. Some days I do better than others, I think, but o overall, I feel like I, I doing a pretty, a pretty good job. 
Um, otherwise, I think my folks would would tell me and I asked for their feedback. You know, hey, was that right in there? Am I doing the right thing? You've been here 25 years, chief nursing officer. How am I being perceived? Yeah. Uh, is it good or is it bad? Um, so the other thing I think is, you know, aside from leadership is, is building your team as a CEO or president is very critical because you're, I, I'm a firm believer uh, that you're, you're only going to be as good as the people that are around you. You cannot do it yourself. I, I know delegation of all the leadership traits is probably one I struggled with more in my early years of my career because I wanted to do it all. Can't. You got to be able to delegate, let them jump out of the nest and fly or not. Sometimes you've got to be willing to do that to allow your senior leaders and other leaders to grow. Uh, and then you teach when, when a teaching opportunity comes. And then the third thing, and there are many more, but in interest of time, the third thing is you better understand the finances of a civilian hospital. Yeah. And you better get, get uh, coached quickly and understand it well to be successful because the number one thing that your boards as they should will judge you on is your ability to manage a hospital and its finances and they should and I would too because as my CFO loves to hear from me no money no mission right. that's just the bottom line and and you wish you didn't have to focus on that you wish you could focus on all the other stuff but if you don't focus on that side, you're not able to support the clinical side, which provides the care to our community and our patients coming through the door. And so I learned very quickly at Copley as a COO and then young CEO from Rasul, our longtime 20-year CFO that, that worked at Copley on what hospital financing and budgeting really means. And he taught me well, and I came here and I knew the questions to ask on day one, and that was really helpful. When you, uh, so you've talked a little bit about your own leadership. What do you look for when you're hiring a junior leader or, or hiring a leader yourself? So you talked about building a team. When you're, when you're interviewing somebody, what are you looking for when, in terms of their leadership um, style? We were talking about this the other day on, on the, the imperfections of, of hiring and interviewing and hiring people and, and how it's, how it's, you know, usually you get it right, but not always. And it's, yeah. it's, it's difficult at times. So I think what I'm looking at, I, I think I'm looking at the things that, that you see that stand out, but maybe the things that aren't said or are not, are not done. I mean, the nonverbal cues and things that are being said, I think I, I am looking at somebody and, and do they carry, how do they carry themselves? Um, and do they have confidence, but uh, do they have humility mixed in with that confidence? I think that's, that's really important. People want to follow somebody that they can trust and respect. And it's hard to trust somebody that their head's so big, they can't get through the door. Um, and so that's really important to me. But I said this the other day, you know, you get to a 70% solution and then you go with your gut. And so obviously I look at those things, but I, most of the time after about five minutes, I, I, I have come close to a decision. And most of the time I've been right. I've been wrong 
at, I have been, and, and I think everybody has been, but fairly quickly, I interviewed this uh, young, right out of school nurse practitioner today, and she was nervous as heck, meet with the big boss. Yeah. And we, we just had a conversation. And what I'm really trying to figure out is, you know, I'll let this, the chief medical officer and others figure out the clinical side, right? She's got to go through that whole process of licensing and credentialing. I'm trying to find out, and, and this is what I told her, I'm trying to find out her character. And is she a good team player? And, or is she going to treat people poorly or treat them well? We all have bad days. I'm talking about trends here, systemic people that are just not kind and compassionate to one another. And, and if you can find those right people, then that's really going to help your culture. And so one, another thing that we've really started early on when I came in is we're not, we're not just taking a warm body to fill a position. We, we will go with it vacant for months, for years, because you're just going to create more problems than what you already have with a vacant position. And so that's kind of our mentality. And uh, it seems to be working pretty good at, at this point in time. Yeah. So you bring up culture. What, is, what kind of organizational culture are you trying to build at, at Memorial? How much of that, and how much of that is your responsibility as the, as the president? Yeah. Well, I steal quotes from people from successful people. And, you know, the quote about culture, each strategy for breakfast every day or something along those lines. Right. And what it just means is you can have all the strategy in the world for your organization, the best strategy, the best, people that are strategic, but if your culture is awful, it doesn't matter how good your strategy is because the, the, the people are going to be the ones that execute that strategy. And if you got good people, you're, you, you might have a less than perfect strategy, but they're going to get it done yeah. because the hard workers, they're dedicated, they're motivated, they love their organization, they, they love each other. And uh, that's something you and I saw many times in the army and that's why we're the best army in the world because we indoctrinated people to be that way we do a good job with growing character and leaders and uh all those things so i think it's it's very much my responsibility there's a couple things that i say i said you know i i expect everybody uh, to come to work each day uh to do your job Find ways to, to do your job better each day and uh, treat others. And I know it's a cliche and I say this, treat others how you want to be treated. And I've told this to many different, type, uh, many different groups to include physicians and nurses and uh, the, you know, the higher educated people is I, I say, I don't really care what's to the right of your name. And then I pause. And I said, well, I care what's to the right of your name. If you're a nurse, you better have an RN. If you're, in, if you're doing surgery, you better have an MD and have been to, through a surgical residency. But as far as us being a team, I don't really care. Because at the end of the day, nobody's going to really care what I did for a living. They're just going to care about how Art Matheson treated them on a daily basis. And, and life is too short. To, to think any other way. And that's the way I have gone about this. Every place I've gone, I sat down with my, my leaders that report to me, and I, I basically say something similar to that. But 
The other thing that I say, and I firmly believe this, is as a servant leader and as an administrator, we are all here for the patient. The patient is the nucleus of everything we do. But who's able to care for the patient? The nurse, the physician, the nurse practitioner, on and on. And so without them, I don't have a reason to exist. A lot of us don't have a reason to exist. And, you know, I've really, I've really angered people by saying that uh, in the past. And that, to me, they just got to get over themselves. Um, it's, it's not an ego thing. It's I decided I wanted to be a CEO. I got there. Uh, um, I'm, I'm excited about the opportunity and humbled by it on a daily basis. But that's what I chose. If I want to go to medical school, then I can go to medical school. This is my role, but without Dr. Potter, my good friend that's a GI doc, and the nurses that support him and the other techs that support him, I don't, I don't, have, a, I don't have a job. And I remember that on a regular basis, and I think that keeps me on the right path, the straight and narrow path that I need to be on as a leader to be confident, but not to be too full of myself. And maybe that's just the way my parents you know, cuff me upside the head when I was young, when I was getting too cocky as a youngster. I don't know. But I feel like that that's kept my, my azimuth pointing in the right direction over the years, if, if that makes sense. So, uh, as you know, I teach in a undergraduate program uh, yeah. here at UNH, and uh, we teach young folks who want to be healthcare administrators. So what advice would you, so in, in conclusion, what advice would you have for our, my my young students getting ready to graduate and and begin their career in in healthcare administration. Don't think you're going to get out and make it make a hundred thousand dollars a year <laughs> starting out. Okay, just uh, uh, that you know I think too many of our of our young, younger generations that that's that's the the, the goal. Um, I I think that the the important thing is yeah you want a good job with with, with good good salary and good benefits, but you got to look uh, at the organization when you interview and not just focus on that. You got you to get a feel for what their culture is, what their leadership is like the, to the best of your ability, or you, you're just not going to be happy, even if the pay is really good. And then you're going to end up going someplace else. And then I think you try uh, to find uh, good leaders, whether they're your formal leader that you report to or other leaders in the organization that can coach, and teach, and mentor you uh, and help you move forward in your career. I would not be without where I am today without the, the many, many leaders, not just administrators, but physicians and nurses and other specialists in the, in the healthcare community that have mentored me. So find that. Um, and then I really find that the, the American College of Healthcare Executives, you know, I joined when I was a young administrator and I was like, you know, a more senior person said, you should join. It's good. Um, but I can tell you, it's how I found my last three jobs to include this one. Yeah. And they have great courses. I, I read their articles periodically that come to me. It's a really first class organization and uh, being a fellow now for many, many years, it means something. It, it means that you have gotten to a, a higher level than, than many other people in, in your 
profession. And uh, I would highly recommend that as early as, as they can. Well, Art, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. It's been great. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. You've been listening to the Health Leader Forge, a joint production of the College of Health and Human Services at the University of New Hampshire and the Northern New England Association of Healthcare Executives. Please go to our website, healthleaderforge.org, for more information or to leave comments about today's podcast. Look for Health Leader Forge podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and other podcast distribution sites. Thanks for being a part of the Health Leader Forge community, and we'll talk with you again soon.